You're listening to Enchanted, a podcast on the history of magic, sorcery, and witchcraft. I'm Corinne Wieben. Just a heads up, this episode acknowledges the existence of sex. Listener discretion is advised. First, the woman skipped his sermons. And later, when she passed him in the streets of Innsbruck, she spat and declared, Fie on you, you bad monk. May the falling evil take you. Later, while he was in the midst of a particularly edifying sermon, she cried out that he was an evil man, and his obsession with witchcraft was heretical. He considered his options. She had always been a particularly outspoken and obstinate woman, the wife of a prosperous burgher. His training taught him that there would always be sinners bent on damning themselves, and these were best treated with charity— On the other hand, he thought, how much am I supposed to bear? The preacher in question, Heinrich Kramer, knew what he had to do. He was, after all, a member of the Order of Preachers, a Dominican friar and a papal inquisitor. More than that, he had an especial distaste for unruly women, whose inherent weaknesses of the flesh indicated a larger weakness of spirit. Such women were bound to fall into heresy or worse. As he would later declare, A person of bad reputation and shameful habits of faith is easily defamed as a heretic. Indeed, it is a general rule that all witches have been slaves from a young age to carnal lust and to various adulteries, just as experience teaches. Helena Schuberin, the woman in question, fit the mental checklist Kramer had developed for detecting witches. She was rumored to be sexually promiscuous and to have occult powers. To the preacher, these qualifications were enough to confirm his suspicions. She was clearly a witch, and therefore guilty of making a pact with the devil. The authorities arrested Helena on suspicion of witchcraft and put her on trial. Among the witnesses were several neighbors who testified that she had harmed them through magic. They also testified that she had caused the illness of a local woman in order to facilitate an affair with her husband. They even accused her of murdering a local knight, Jorg Spies, who had recently died of a prolonged illness after his doctor warned him to stop seeing Helena. Kramer began his interrogation with a series of sordid and detailed questions about her sexual past to the deep discomfort of the other magistrates. In fact, Kramer's line of questioning made the officials so uncomfortable that the bishop called a halt to the day's proceedings. When they reconvened the next day, a new official joined them, a lawyer for the defense, who immediately attacked Kramer's case on procedural grounds. The defense entered a motion to dismiss the case, which was granted, and Helena was released. Humiliated, Kramer left Innsbruck for the city of Cologne, where he sat down to write a systematic and detailed treatise defending his beliefs about witches, witchcraft, the detection of witches, the dangers they present, and the proper procedure for investigating and prosecuting those accused of witchcraft. This treatise would come to be known as the Malleus Maleficarum, the Hammer of Witches.
The arguments of Kramer's Malaeus have some foundation in medieval notions of witchcraft, but were also based on contemporary German culture. In many ways, the Malaeus is a response to critics of the Dominican-led Inquisition, and of Kramer himself. Heinrich Kramer, along with his partner and fellow Dominican inquisitor, Jakob Springer, expanded on existing ideas of demonic witchcraft to construct, from the ground up, the image of the witch that would pervade early modern Europe. In doing so, they found it helpful to draw the distinction between the magician or sorcerer who invoked demons and the witch who made a pact with the devil. By drawing on ancient Greek and Roman texts and later Renaissance humanist ideas of witchcraft as almost exclusively feminine and based in women's sexuality. The Malaeus set the tone for the witch craze that would sweep much of Europe a century later. But did Kramer invent this image of the witch himself? Or was he merely describing an idea that was already beginning to root itself in early modern culture? The medieval canon included plenty of skepticism about the existence and efficacy of magic, usually insisting that magic was not real, but was instead an illusion or superstition. In this sense, magic carried no real physical danger. Instead, the danger of magic was a spiritual one, since in believing in magic, the practitioner fell from true belief into doctrinal error and heresy. As early as the 4th century, St. Augustine introduced the possibility that magic may be only foolish superstition, writing, All superstitious arts of this sort, therefore, whether foolish or harmful, constituted through a certain pestiferous association of human beings and demons, as if by a pact of faithless and deceitful friendship, must be utterly repudiated and shunned by a Christian. A few centuries later, the 11th century bishop Bursard of Worms listed a series of superstitious beliefs, including believing in the night revels of witches, in his penitential manual, The Corrector, writing, Have you believed that some women can do what certain women, deceived by the devil, claim they must do, of necessity and by his command? Namely, that on certain nights, along with a mob of demons transformed to look like women, she must ride on various animals and be counted in their assembly. If you have shared in this superstition, you must do penance for one year through the required periods of fasting. Bursard's condemnation of folk beliefs and practices, many of them remnants of pre-Christian culture, includes many of the beliefs about witches that Kramer and Springer would later insist were absolutely true in the Malaeus. Even in the 15th century, many of Kramer's contemporaries and fellow legal officials had their doubts. Ambrosius de Vignante, a law professor in northern Italy who participated in witch trials in the mid-15th century, asked, What therefore do we say about women who confess that they walk at night over great distances in a moment's time and enter the locked rooms of others, with the assistance of their diabolic masters, as they say, and with whom, as they say, they have carnal intercourse, and who, with the help of demons, as they say, kill children and kill people. Are these and similar things possible, or likely, or credible? The 15th century theologian Nicholas of Cusa expressed his doubts after meeting two old women imprisoned for witchcraft in the French Alps in 1457. 
The women told him that they'd gone to night revels to serve the Lady Prosperity, but Nicholas was skeptical. In a sermon on these women, he warned his fellow clerics not to pursue accusations of witchcraft, stating that these women have been deceived by the devil, who deludes some old and infatuated woman and leads her on so that she is captured and tortured as a witch, and God permits this on account of her sins, and then very great evils follow because of the death of an innocent. Therefore beware, lest wanting so much to be rid of evil, yet more evil is garnered. Despite this skepticism, concerns about witchcraft remained, and by the late Middle Ages, the figure of the witch had begun to fulfill a unique need to explain the existence of the devil in the world and diabolic influence. Many a late medieval sermon emphasized the devil's remarkable power. However, this met with the diminished physical presence of the devil in the world. After all, who could reasonably say they'd seen him lately? In other words, for the devil's power to appear in the world without his physical presence, he must have human agents to act on his behalf. This made a certain kind of sense in a world where few had seen the king in person, but many had encountered his tax collectors, seneschals, and justices of the peace. Which has also solved another sticky theological problem. Why an omnipotent creator would allow the devil to operate in the world at all? The solution came in the form of human free will. Since free will, and consequently human sinfulness, allowed humans to misbehave where demons might fear to tread. This new understanding of the universe in which divine and diabolical powers were eclipsed by human agency, and humans played out the cosmic conflict between good and evil here on Earth, naturally pitted the church and its clergy against their shadowy counterparts, witches. The Malayas is very much a product of this new way of seeing the world, reflecting the time and place that produced it. It's where late medieval Dominican theological ideas and methods met with southern German popular culture. Kramer composed the Malayas in his 50s, already nearing the end of his career and the beginning of old age, by medieval standards anyway. His life and career reflected his single-minded focus on orthodoxy and the correctness of his own beliefs. Historian Hans-Peter Brodel has called Kramer a man capable of inspiring profound animosity in those he met. Despite this, he managed to ingratiate himself to his superiors, earning ever more powerful positions. The studies of the Dominican order of preachers emphasized logic, rhetoric, and philosophy, particularly the study of Aristotle, whose rationality of thought reflected the kind of clarity Dominican inquisitors and preachers alike would need. Students then went on to learn theology, interpretation of scripture, and effective preaching. Kramer showed promise early on in his studies and demonstrated a vigorous rejection of enemies of the faith, including the Holy Roman Emperor and reform-minded clergy, in addition to heretics and witches. In 1467, Kramer was recruited to raise money and preach against the followers of the reformer Jan Hus in Bohemia. 
His success in the effort won him an appointment as an inquisitor and preacher general of the Dominican order in 1474. Rather than be assigned to a particular location, as was customary, Kramer was given permission to move about, acting as an inquisitor where none had been assigned or, with permission, assisting where one already operated. At the same time, Kramer was also facing prison for slanderous comments leveled at the Holy Roman Emperor in a sermon. He was rescued from prison by the Master General of the Dominican Order, who had to intervene on his behalf again in a financial dispute with two other friars. In 1478, Pope Sixtus IV appointed Kramer Inquisitor in Upper Germany, noting his zeal for religion, knowledge of letters, integrity of life, constancy of faith, and other praiseworthy virtues and merits. By 1482, however, Kramer stood accused of embezzling from funds raised to support the war against the Ottoman Empire. Papal authorities threatened him with expulsion from the order, excommunication, and imprisonment, but to no avail. No record of the resolution exists, but he retained his powerful position. He was, however, relieved of all financial duties. It was in this later period that Kramer had become concerned with witchcraft and had begun to prosecute suspected witches. After meeting with resistance from local church authorities, he wrote to the Pope requesting that he be granted explicit authority to prosecute witchcraft in Germany. In winter of 1484, Pope Innocent VIII released the infamous papal bull Summis Desiderantes Affectibus, also known as the Witch Bull, an official declaration that both confirmed the existence of witches and empowered inquisitors with special powers to pursue and eliminate them. The bull, and the consequent authority invested in Kramer, allowed him to hunt witches in Ravensburg and Innsbruck. But we've already seen the results. Local authorities, discomfited by Kramer's line of questioning, dismissed his prosecutions of witches as obsessive, if not outright heretical. In November of 1485, the Bishop of Innsbruck went so far as to tell a local priest that if Kramer does not withdraw with all speed, you, Father, should say to him in my place that more than enough scandals have arisen because of his bad trial, and that he should not remain in this place, lest anything worse should follow from this or happen to him. The bishop's desire that Kramer depart from Innsbruck would have larger consequences. We know that he did, in fact, leave. But his move to Cologne gave him time to formulate his thoughts about women, female sexuality, and witchcraft into a cohesive argument. How was it that in Kramer's mind and in the larger culture, witches were at once seductresses and hags, lovers and killers? The answer may lie, strangely, in the Renaissance. The recovery of classical Greek and Roman literature revived ancient images of witches as both seductresses and murderers, like the Lamia and the Striga, cannibalistic shapeshifters who seduced and ate the flesh of men and poisoned children. Thanks to both classical and medieval ideas about the inherent irrationality of women and their susceptibility to physical temptation, the relationship between women and magic became inextricable from feminine sexuality. Well-read authorities conflated the seductive and murderous Lamia with the idea of witchcraft. This was true even among the skeptics. 
The 15th century Spanish theologian Martin of Arles wrote, When some little women, devoted to Satan, seduced by the illusions of the devil, behave and confess that they ride during the hours of the night with Diana, goddess of the pagans, or Venus, in company with a great multitude of women, and do other abominations, for example, tear away babes from the breasts of their mothers, carry them off and eat them, enter houses through chimneys or windows, and disturb the inhabitants in various ways, all of which happens exclusively in their imaginations. Even though Martin assures us that whatever powers these women might think they have are solely imaginary, his writing still reflects the abundance of ancient ideas that, thanks to Renaissance humanism, pervaded 15th century European culture. The fear of witches, then, wasn't just a reflection of theological ideas about the devil and his agents. Because as Kramer made clear in the Malayas, witches were almost exclusively women. For Kramer, the logic is circular but clear. Where there are witches, there is witchcraft. Where there is misfortune attributed to witchcraft, there must be witches. Witches are women because they're sexual beings, and women, as sexual beings, are more likely to be witches. Or, as Kramer put it, If our problem is why the multitude of witches found in the female sex which is so delicate, is greater than among males, it does no good just to deny that assertion since, in addition to testimony recorded from trustworthy people, experience itself makes such findings credible. Hence, whenever we read denunciations of the lust of the flesh, these can be interpreted to use lust of the flesh as a synonym for woman. This sexual weakness, according to the Malayas, reflects the larger failings of women— Kramer explains his reasoning by citing centuries of theologians on the dangers of female sexuality. Others also give added reasons why greater numbers of women than men are found to be superstitious, citing three causes. The first is that they are apt to be credulous, and since the demon's main goal is to destroy faith, he prefers to attack women. The second reason is that women are variable in temperament and more easily convinced to accept what the influence of separated spirits reveals to them. Hence, even though they can behave quite well and exercise this temperament for good, they are all the worse when they use it for evil. The third reason is that a woman has a loose tongue, making it impossible for her to conceal from her female companions what she learns by evil methods. Since women lack strength, they look for a covert way to get what they want, through witchcraft. And, because they are deficient in all the faculties of mind and body, it is no surprise that they often procure witchcraft against their rivals. The natural reason is that women are more carnal than men, which is clear from the many carnal and filthy things that they do. Not only was sex inextricable from witchcraft, according to Kramer, it was also its modus operandi. Witches must do four deeds. To deny the Catholic faith, in whole or in part through verbal sacrilege. To devote themselves, body and soul, to the devil. To offer up to the evil one himself, infants, not yet baptized. And to persist in diabolic filthiness through carnal acts with incubus and succubus demons. But witches didn't stop there. 
According to Kramer, witches loved sex but hated procreation, especially within the bounds of marriage. The fact that witches are more frequently adulteresses, prostitutes, and the like is shown by the evil impediment they place on the act of generative power. In addition to frustrated wives and lusty maidens, the Malayas teaches us that the most common witches were women abandoned by their lovers. Just as young women of this kind are innumerable, as, alas, experience teaches, so the witches, who arise from them, are unnumbered. Their purported hatred of men and of the act of procreation could even lead a witch to do the unthinkable, to make a man's penis disappear. So that he can see and feel nothing except his smooth body, uninterrupted by that member. Witchcraft, as defined by the Malayas, is feminine and sexual, grounded in the idea of women as earthly, carnal beings. Witches became the opposite of the wife and mother, instead submitting to the devil as a kind of husband and multiplying his progeny on the earth in the form of harm, a point that Kramer makes explicitly. The witch has offered herself completely and has bound herself to the devil really and in truth, and not fantastically and in the imagination only. And thus, it ought to be understood that she cooperates with the devil in body and in truth. For all works of witches are to this end. Whether they always carry out their witchcraft through the pact or through a glance or through the spoken word or through the operation of some instrument of witchcraft deposited under the threshold of a house. Influential as the Malayas was, its reputation is now infamous following the early modern European witch craze, a period of widespread persecution of suspected witches that pervaded all regions of Europe. Between 1450 and 1750, some 80,000 witch trials are estimated to have resulted in over 40,000 executions. Of those, the vast majority, well over 80%, took place in the German regions of the Holy Roman Empire. Witch trials were especially numerous in southern Germany and Austria, Kramer's old jurisdiction, including the city of Innsbruck. The largest and last of the great German witch hunts ended in 1639. Strangely, they ended in the same city where they began, Cologne, the city where Kramer began writing the Malayas nearly two centuries earlier. So which influenced the other when it came to the conviction that witches were real and female? Kramer's Malaeus Maleficarum, or popular belief? We may find a clue in one study of witchcraft trials in the 15th and 16th centuries in the neighboring cities of Lucerne and Lausanne. In Lucerne, where the trials were driven largely by the citizens and their anxieties about witchcraft, 90% of the accused were women. In nearby Lausanne, where church authorities were more concerned with heresy than witchcraft and controlled the direction of the trials themselves, women made up only 38% of the accused. Where popular sentiment was the driver, broadly dispersed anxieties about witches drove the populace to accuse women out of all proportion, 
Kramer, Sprenger, and the Malleus Maleficarum didn't invent the idea that women were more prone to heresy and witchcraft than men. Their contribution was the idea that witches were almost exclusively women, and that harmful magic belonged exclusively to witches. Kramer and Sprenger assembled a broad range of ancient and contemporary authorities on feminine weakness and tendency toward sin, especially lust, to construct the witch as a woman inseparable from her sexuality, reinforced by the two most widely popular anxieties about witchcraft, that witches could curse men with impotence, and that they could make men's genitals vanish altogether. By the 16th century, the debate over witches had shifted away from the question of what makes a witch to whether or not witchcraft actually existed. So authoritative was the Malleus Maleficarum that no one thought to question its vision of the witch as a promiscuous woman who entered into a sexualized pact with the devil. But the Malleus didn't invent the early modern witch out of thin air. Instead, Kramer wove the image of the witch from the zeitgeist, synthesizing reports, denunciations, centuries of theology on the devil and demons, folk beliefs, and humanist writings. The Malleus was successful precisely because it incorporated, rather than rejected, popular belief. Rather than thinking of witchcraft as a kind of heresy, Kramer saw witchcraft as the people of 15th century Germany did, just one of many possible interactions between humans and the supernatural. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to Enchanted wherever you listen and help spread the word by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. This week's episode was produced by Corinne Wieben, featuring the voice talent of Kiernan Angley and original music by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com. You can get in touch with us via email at enchantedpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Enchanted Podcast and on Twitter at Enchanted Pod. If you're interested in supporting us on Patreon, just $5 a month gives you access to exclusive bonus content, sneak previews of what's ahead, and early access to upcoming episodes. To learn more about the show or to become a supporter and help keep the magic going, please visit EnchantedPodcast.net. I'm Corinne Wieben. Thank you for listening, and stay enchanted. <laughs>